Hello again, dear listeners, and welcome to The Media Beat with Maureen and Claire. We're on to number episode 37 now. Goodness gracious. Mind you, I say that every time, whatever number I say. Um, But we are on number uh, 37, and we've got, uh, oh, we have a a packed programme. But first, I'll just quickly say hello uh, to Maureen. Maureen, as you all must know by now, leads the media practice globally for Arthur D. Little, the world's largest management consultancy firm uh, and advises on all things media, strategy, operations, etc. Maureen, hello. Hello, Oliver. And Claire Tavernier, they've worked with each other for decades, I think. Um, but I've come to know Claire pretty well over the last 18 months as well. Uh, and Claire is a leading commentator on all things media. Uh, globally speaking, she has held a number of high-profile jobs all over the media world. She consults, she does uh, um, assignments uh, within clients as well. And she also talks to us. Hello, Claire. Hi, Oliver. And I wonder at what point it, we can start playing the game of, you know, what's bigger, the number of episodes or our age, but probably not not yet. Uh, with, uh, certainly in my <laughs> case. Certainly my case. We've tipped over the balance there, surely, Claire. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Our yes. combined age, let's put it that way. <laughs> okay, yes, okay. Combined age is a different thing. My age, I think we're looking at somewhere around 2027. 20, we might oh, have. Oh, wow. Oh, I'm not a young man, <laughs> regardless of how I look. Uh, yeah, well, let's keep an on that one uh but for this time we have ah we have a deep dive coming up on ownership and shareholders we talk about this a lot um we talk about shareholder activists and ownership etc an awful lot and we thought it'd be a good idea to um have maureen explain at great depth what exactly uh, that means in the world of media and how it differs in the world of media from other places or other other uh, parts of commerce which uh, we might feel we do know about we have of course in the news which allows me to play that exciting jingle we're talking about Amazon, we're talking about Google Antitrust, uh, the Apple connection and um, a big topic, fake versus real AI images and how difficult it is to tell. It's like a, it's almost like a, um, an arms race. Um, as, as, as soon as the AI gets better, the AI detection gets better and then the AI gets even better at being not detected. The Pop Moji round is going to be fast and furious this time. We're going to be talking about ITV. We're going to talk about Meta. We're going to be smugly talking about WeWork and Omnicom and Reddit as well. So a lot to do with um, security and, and ownership of information. A lot to get through. We must crack on, therefore. So Maureen, um, I know you do a lot of conferences. You do a lot of speeches and stuff. So this is, comes a second age to you. So um, we're very privileged to be able to um, get you to do some uh, sort of a, a deep dive on sort of ownership shareholdings in the world of media um, a bit of a 101 course maybe in in shares and business and how it works but also more specifically uh, what makes it uh, different in media uh, i know claire's got some things that she'd like to ask you i might um, come in with a couple of uh, inane questions as well uh, to keep the casual listener happy but uh, yeah maureen could i in- invite you just to just to t- take through take us through the whole subject of shareholders ownership in the world of media maureen no, no, I'd be more than grateful. I hope I can answer your questions. So I know, I know, as you said, uh, Claire's got a list of them. So I don't know if you want to hold, hand it back to Claire. Uh, Claire, what, what, how would you like to start this? Because it's a big world. <laughs> so yes. I, I, I'd, I'd like to. I'd like it not to be a monologue, and I'd like it just to be, you know, whatever, whatever you fancy, whatever you fancy asking. Hopefully, I can, I can address. Well, listen, I thought we could start with a really basic question, which. Um, Sounds a bit sounds a bit silly, maybe. But who owns these big media companies? If you know, if you think about a Disney and Netflix, you know, who are on the stock market, and we talk about their shareholders, who really owns them? Yeah. Okay. No, no questions. A silly question. Oh. Um, as uh, wait as, until as I get people. out my list. <laughs> <laughs> that, is a, that is a cliche response from me. So, so I do apologise. Um, yeah. So. Um, Let's go back to some fundamentals here. Okay, when we're talking about share prices, um, we're often talking about those that are publicly quoted, and and then your point then about stock markets. So, the two key stock markets, um, I'm not ignoring Asia, but mostly in our time zone will be you know London, uh, London Stock Exchange and New York. So when we talk about those media companies that are trading and earnings calls and things like that we're talking about those two major markets um and so a lot of these media companies in the last you know couple of decades um have gone public and that means that yes uh, the stock market trades their stock 
and they are um, uh, the evaluations are derived, you know, in a marketplace by those who want to buy and those who want to sell. So when you hear about share prices, that is the unit value of its worth and the valuation of the company as a whole. So in this instance, you've, you've quoted Disney, Netflix. Um, if you take a look at their shareholder register, and anyone can do that, anyone can do that, you'll notice that there's either publicly floated and or what's called insider. And insider means, you know, um, like Disney, um, Abigail Disney, she is the granddaughter of the famous Mr. Mickey Mouse. Um, she owns a couple of points. So she's got, I think, something like 3% um, ownership, uh, give or take on, on, on any one day. <laughs> but I think, it's, I think it's 3%. The rest is owned by uh, what we call institutional investors. And what that means is, you know, big pension funds or big banks or big hedge funds. Um, and they uh, are, are trading uh, those stocks on those different markets, either for long term or for short term. Hedge funds tend to, you know, trade on a more regular basis uh, and uh, pension funds and institutional investors probably for a little bit longer. So you don't get that much activity. Again, you can go to the New York Stock Exchange or London Stock Exchange and you can actually see how those stocks are trading by volume and by value. So ownership of these major companies is usually split around 50, 60 percent institutional investors, maybe 20 percent of, you know, uh, hedge funds. And maybe the rest is then distributed across, um, you know, uh, management or, uh, or or insiders. Let's call them insiders for the for the for the basis of simplicity here. And why does it matter? This is another very basic question, but, you know, we're going back to fundamentals. Why does it matter to a company like Disney or Netflix if their share price goes down? Because, you know, they don't have less money in the bank if their share price goes down. Or do they? No. So there's 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 there's, there's a difference. So, so you wonder why does why does a media company uh, want to be uh, publicly traded as opposed to, say, there are media companies that are privately owned. Uh, there's private equity funded companies, which means just by nature of the fact is private equity owned, they're private. So they are not subjected to the stock market. They're not subjected to earnings calls. So for a public company like, like Disney, you know, uh, that, that their share price is monitored. Share price is a function of how the marketplace perceives the performance of the company. So if the share price is uh, lower today than tomorrow, like we often hear earnings results, uh, trigger a 8% drop in share price. That is because the market itself is disappointed by uh, the performance. And the market holds accountable the company uh, subject to you know, its performance on behalf of those institutional investors. So that's why you have earnings calls on a quarterly basis. That's why you have, um, you know, uh, uh, companies that are called sort of analyst based companies that are constantly writing reports about those those companies uh, like Disney. So the share price actually, as I say, is a function of the performance of the business and the value of the business. Now, the share price is an indicator of um, a number of things overall uh, the company's worth and what we call the market capitalization of a company and the reason that the reason that that's important is because you can raise money on the back of your market capitalization you can use your stock to acquire another company um, and you clearly want your stock price to be high relatively speaking and not low because that gives you a currency in order to invest so acquire another business, it also gives you an opportunity to raise capital, raise money. And that is in the form of, stop me if I get too technical, that is in the form of what we call a rights issue. So a rights issue could be that you could offer your existing shareholders more shares at a discount to get money, as opposed to going to the bank and asking the bank for a loan. And that money you can use to invest in new products, you can you know, invest in new markets, and you can also buy companies. So you often hear when someone says they've acquired another media company through a rights issue, it is because they've raised capital against their stock market, against their against their stock, against you know from their shareholders. So 
it's an, a really good way to be able to leverage a marketplace in order to raise capital, as opposed to going to um, a, a bank for a loan that you are subjected to significant you know, interest rates, interest rates that are high. So in markets now where interest rates are quite high, it's very expensive to get debt. So actually, you probably want to have a good stock price or share price because you can leverage that stock price and share price in order to raise capital. Hopefully that you should always do the deep dives because you're so clear and I love that. Uh, that I have was one more question. I, I, I Even I understood that. Continue for hours because I'm learning so much and I thought I knew about this stuff, but you just explained it in such a, a really clear way and I love it. Uh, but we have to stop and we have a bunch of other things to do, to talk about. But I, I, I so perhaps maybe not the final question, but, but starting to, to draw to a close. You've talked about earning calls, and we talk a lot about earning calls, and those are the quarterly calls that those tra publicly traded companies do where they present their results. In fact, later on, we're going to talk about Amazon's uh, quarterly results. And, and as you said, they are super important because they give a signal to the market, and the market then decides to, you know, to, to, to um, either raise the price of the stock or, or decrease it, depending on who buys and who sells. The problem with earning calls is obviously that it focuses everything on a quarterly basis. So you're constantly looking for good news every quarter and it makes long and my understanding is that it makes long term investment quite difficult because it's not a very popular earnings call topic to say we've invested billions of dollars into this project that may or may not happen and anyway it's gonna be in about five years' time. So what's how does that impact media companies? No, no, and I think that's valid and that's always been the, the critique. Now um, in the UK, uh, we used to just have um, like half yearly results. So you'll have your half year and then your final um, final ones. Um, and then you come to the market because you have to come to the market because your institutional in investors demand it, you know. So, you know, you, you, you ought to be held accountable because you're using other people's money in order to run your, your company. So it's standard and it's acceptable. And it's always been acceptable to management. And that's why, and, and to the boards as well. And in the US, they had um, always quarterly. So it was always this, you just finish one earnings call and then you're, you know, you're, you're sort of going deep breath, you know, let's get on for some work. And then the next one arrives. So uh, uh, quarterly was really seen as problematic, but strangely enough now, and I give media companies in particular and others are international and they operate on a global basis. Almost all are now driven by these quarterly results. Even if they don't come to the market, you know, as, as, as often in the UK, they are still driven by this quarterly uh, um, rationale. And you're absolutely right. If you think about it, the management team are constantly sort of sort of thinking through how are we going to justify our results, you know, uh, be they good or bad, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we invest? If we invest, uh, that's going to be, you know, a, a dent in our profitability. Uh, so should we invest? So it really does determine the strategy and this, this short-term behavior is uh, the vagaries of um, being on the public market, being in the public market and having to do these calls and having to justify your performance because you can't think beyond the next quarter, you know. And and as we've described, your earnings call um, or your, your performance uh, is very sensitive to, you know, an analyst interpretation. And, and if you simply, if the analysts simply say, that wasn't a good quarter, whoa, everyone's selling your shares. So it's really, really tricky really tricky. Management also tend to be on stock performance plans. So they're usually incentivized by what's called earnings per share. And when you hear usually on these earnings calls, stock price, but they also say how many points they've increased on their earnings per share. Again, another incentivization to try to keep profitability high, stock price high, in order to get your bonus. So even even a management team's incentivized, you know, just to run quarter by quarter even. So it is it is really tricky. However, you know, as the upside I've described, being publicly quoted, you do get access to capital and you do get access to ways to grow your business. So it's a fine balance between between the two. But yeah, um, unless you're very clear on your strategy, the analyst community and the markets are going to penalize you if you don't get that net subscriber number up as you expected. You know, and, and, the, and the clever management team, or rather the smart management team and the good management teams, really do set the market expectations correctly. So instead of you being wildly always out of sync 
and misaligned with market expectations, you know, they are managing the market expectations because the management gives the information to the analyst community. The analysts respond to it. So if you were to say, hey, look, I'm only going to get 10 net subscribers, says Netflix, next quarter and be honest, be honest about it and then deliver 10 or 11, then they're not going to penalize you for it. So there is something about managing and setting expectations in the marketplace, being open and transparent, so that if there are earnings calls uh, where your stock price dips dramatically, it's because you have not set the expectations correctly. Um, so, yeah, I, but if you don't like it, if you don't like the environment, go private. You know, get a private equity firm to buy you out and take you off the stock market if you can't handle it. <laughs> Which, yeah. which is, which is, which is often the case. Which is often the case, you know. Um, yeah. So. But that's really interesting, and you know, you often see, you often see in these reports around earnings call, you know, set, you know, better than expectations, lower than expectations, etc. So there is a way for management to 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 manage that process by setting expectations, and. Um, Sorry, I wanted to say something about expectations. Oh yes, the stock market does not like surprises. Is essentially what you're saying. So just, just exactly. don't avoid surprises. We have to move on. I have one final question, Oliver. Am I allowed one tiny, tiny questions, and then we we we're moving on. How everything that you've explained, Maureen, as always, was brilliant and made sense. Uh, none of it is is specifically unique to the media market, and I'm just wondering. Is there anything that is different in for media companies? Would you say than than for uh, for other listed companies? Uh, the, the 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 point I was making yes, there there, there are a couple actually. Uh, the point I was making specifically about um, how uh, a board or the CEO and its management team um, benefits from being publicly quoted is the ability to raise capital and the ability to invest and enter new markets. Um, through acquisitions, for example. And what's particularly peculiar to media um, in particular, it's and, 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 and if we park the idea of pharmaceutical companies or healthcare just for the time being, um, but that is that media companies are heavily regulated. People often forget that. But say in the UK, um, Ofcom um, is the regulator for uh, media companies. And, and what's limiting here is ownership, actually, um, for uh, media companies. So the CMA, you know, um, the, the authority that monitors competition, uh, monitors the markets. Um, we've often cited CMA with, say, the TF1 and M6 acquisition or potential merger. Uh, we've cited them in with respect to Microsoft and um, Activision and the like. The CMA also regulates and looks at specifically or, or, or opines on any two companies that want to get together. Now, acquisitions then are uh, looked at very, very carefully at the moment. The Telegraph has been looked at very, very carefully. In um, regulation uh, to date, uh, media companies or media ownership cannot exceed more than 20% uh, uh, across newspapers cannot exceed more than 25% for one single sort of owner, like Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch was always limited to 20% or to 25% uh, in TV and on radio is up there by about 40%. So what is particular and peculiar and it, maybe idiosyncratic, <laughs> I don't know, people are critiquing it, um, uh, is, is this ownership structure so that John Maloney, for example, or uh, Roberts of Comcast, you know, or Rupert Murdoch in particular is one that's always cited, you know, and now you've got Barclays Brothers and the Telegraph and the like. They, they're very, they're very, the Competition Authority and the government are very, very concerned about the plurality, the plurality of the voices in media, the diversity of voices in media. So in particular in the UK, that's always, always looked at very, very carefully to make sure that it is diverse and there is a plurality of voices. I think you're done, Claire. I think that's yeah. enough enough questions. We could go on all, all day. You're absolutely right. That was crystal clear. Everything. I remember I used to work for a French company called Atos, a large IT services, and I did have occasion to talk to the CEO on various things. It was mostly when I was interviewing him or doing a, uh, doing a conference or whatever, and he always used to go on about never... Um, uh, surprising the stock market, always setting expectations. He'd never issued a profit warning in 30 years of business. And he was very, very proud of this. It completely chimed with what you're saying about investors, the stock market, the group think does not like uh, surprises. Uh, and this was his big thing as well. Thank you um, so much. It almost feels like we need a part two of that. But no, 
Not today, I'm afraid, because we've got to, to the end of our time for that particular segment. And we have to move on briskly to In the News. Okay, our lead story in the news. I'm not sure if we have a particularly lead story. We have that silly story at the end, like they used to have on uh, News at 10, which was a dog lost on Salisbury Plain got found or whatever. We don't really have those. But anyway, we uh, our first story, at least, is uh, one. I'm going to go to our roving reporter, Claire Tavernier, for this one. Um, Amazon results are out. Uh, uh, Claire, what are they? And what's your analysis? Yes, uh, Oliver, it's nice to be here today in the studio. Yes, uh, it's funny enough, we were just talking about earnings call. Amazon's just done their Q3 earnings call, and they have, um, they've beat expectations, which is the, the one thing kind of surprise that you're allowed to have. Uh, and they specifically uh, had a much stronger uptick in advertising revenue than people expected. Uh, so they had their advertising revenues increased by 26%, which is pretty massive. Uh, and the uh, and and they're now at 12 billion dollars. Uh, and um, that's interesting, I think, because we talked about Netflix recently, and we talked about the fact that they hadn't released their advertising revenue. And I think if they had 12 million, 12 billion dollars of advertising revenues, we probably would have heard. Uh, now, what we don't know because they didn't tell us is how much of this. It's from Prime Video, of course, because Amazon has advertising on a lot of other places. But they did make a very strong push to say that they were very happy with the way advertising was going on Prime Video, that they were increasing their inventory, that there was going to be more ads on more programs on Prime Video going forward, and that it was one of their priorities when it came to advertising. They also had a long list of pretty premium brands that were uh, that they were working with. Uh, on their advertising platform. So yes, the, the, those were the key headlines, I think, from, from Amazon Q3. I don't know, Maureen, if you had any, any other thoughts on them. No, I think that's I think that covers it. I, uh, but I agree with you. I think it's, it's quite surprising if you look at the forecasts for advertising from the um, big media companies, the Holcos, you know, they were forecasting five, six percent at best this year, global advertising. So I think I think it's amazing. Uh, amazing sort of uh, set of numbers that they've uh, they've pulled out of the hats. So yeah, no, good for them. I'm I'm long on Amazon. I'm long on Amazon. You remember we used to do short and long. I like to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was <laughs> short, long, put emojis. Yeah. 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 Buy and sell. Buy or sell. Buy yeah. Buy or yeah. sell or hold. Yeah, that would be a good idea. Yeah. How can <laughs> exactly. I? How did I live without Prime? When I want something on uh, Amazon now, I don't get it the next day. I get very antsy. It's like I deserve this thing uh, next day. Anyway, uh, one part only of a myriad services. Thank you, uh, thank you, Claire. We'll st- we'll stick with you actually, Claire, because you're with the second story as well. Um, so stay right right where you are. So this Google antitrust trial and the uh, the Apple connection. Can you explain that, please? And what's the latest? Yes, the U.S. government is suing Google for uh, basically um, for making deals with various people, including Apple, to make Google the default search engine. So this is Google search. So you know, if you go to Apple, if you, even if you go to Safari rather than Chrome, you will start by searching Google. It, the, if you open a search box, it will be Google, and that's because Google did a deal with Apple. Uh, and paid Apple a lot of money to become their default search engine. So if, if for any reason you decided that you actually wanted to search on Bing, you would have to go to the Bing page to start searching rather than just do the, the, the easy thing and type in the... And you can change it now. They've, they've, they've put systems in so you can change it. But the default one is always Google. Now, we the, the most interesting thing about this, this uh, antitrust trial, which is jointly... Uh, conducted by the Department of, of Justice in the U.S. with eight states, including New York, California, and Colorado, um, the, is that we are finding out a lot of things. As always with American trials, there's a lot of new data that comes out. There's a lot of disclosure. So it, you know, it's always useful. So for instance, what we've learned is that uh, in 2021, Google paid $26 billion to become the default search engine across platforms. Uh, and they actually, they, you know, including uh, Apple, Samsung, and Mozilla. And uh, they actually wanted more. They wanted Chrome pre-installed on all iPhones, but they didn't get there. Uh, 
so that that's that sort of shows and that's what the trial is trying to to i think demonstrate that it was hugely important to google to be the default search engine um as you can imagine and then it you know there were some other interesting tidbits for instance they as part of that deal they agreed not to promote chrome to safari users so if you are a safari user on on mac you don't get promote you don't get push to Chrome. Uh, so there's sort of gave some some little bits to Apple. There's a big question around this antitrust trial, which is, did Google become the dominant search engine that it is because it did these deals or because it's actually the better search engine? And Google will say it's because we're the best search engine and the and the antitrust lawyers are saying, no, it's because you dominated the market and then your search engine got better because you were able to because there was no competition. And that's the, I mean, you know, that's the question they're trying to they're trying to, to solve. I don't know the answer, um, but yeah, it's very interesting. You have to keep reading those documents and find out new things. Maureen, over to you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, she stands in the rain, the wind and so on. Yes, as those CNN anchors always do. Um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting. Actually. I love the fact that they disclose all this information. It's, it's, it's such, they're such great reads. The other thing was um, that they did get an independent assessment of um, the comparison between Bing and Google because, of course, Microsoft was very upset. Uh, and frankly, the, without going into too much details, the, the short answer was Bing was underperforming quite significantly Google. So there is there is there is there is a point about performance, you know, and of course, you know, Google um, Google's performance is, is pretty good. So I mean, I, this 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 will continue. So it, it'd be great for us to, I guess, monitor this. Um, yeah, lots of information, lots of information to read. It's funny, really, because there's two sides to the argument that I see is that I, I used Google 20 years ago. I remember it distinctly because we've been using all these Excite and AltaVista, Yahoo. I suddenly used Google. Clearly, it was a better engineered product. It's It searched uh, quicker. It searched more obscure terms. It was definitely, 20 years ago, the best product without a shadow of a doubt. And I don't think it's 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 slipped from that. So I think uh, Google are justified in that. However, I suppose the lawyers would say, well, if you are so good, surely everyone's going to use you anyway. And you don't have to pay uh, $26 billion to prove the fact. So uh, it's quite an interesting debate, isn't it? I still use Google. It's still the best. Um I think I try to use DuckDuckGo because that's the one that doesn't keep your history uh, and it's just not as good, basically. Um, so uh, Google, uh, my, my pitiful browsings on the Internet, you can um, you can have full access to them because I get a much better service from you. And basically, uh, I live a very boring life. Thank you for that. Um, back to the studio. So now a uh, big story. And uh, I'm fascinated by this because in up until fairly recently, you could look at an image and go, well, lovely sunset, but that's clearly AI. Or that's an incredible picture of a stag on a highland mountain, but that's uh, that's clearly AI. And now it becomes harder and harder and harder, uh, which is a bit scary in, in some ways. I mean, I think some people can be paranoid and, uh, and be um, sort of hyperbolic in the risks, but there have to be some when you know, uh, e it's easy to get hold of video of powerful people saying crazy things, or indeed, in the case of Donald Trump, <laughs> without going too far, just him actually saying crazy things, but um, without going too far down uh, 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 political route. Um, Maureen, you have this story, um, because there's been some uh, new research being done. Um, so the issue is, of course, fake versus real in the world of AI. But what's the what's the very latest? Maureen, uh, yes, Oliver. Uh, so everyone's trying to disentangle the real from the fake, and um, uh, this is uh, this is clearly uh, a big a big issue for uh, you know anyone looking at and trying to protect uh, copyright copyright images uh, or copyrighted images. So so the University of Maryland actually is proposing a new technique, a proprietary technique for watermarking, and effectively what they're trying to do is use um, to insert a hidden pattern. A hidden pattern that is imperceptible to humans, um, and while making the text algorithmically uh, identifiable as a synthetic, and I, and I, I needed to read that because I, I made notes. I made notes about this because it's highly technical. Um, uh, now, Google DeepMind, you know, also le uh, launched a, uh, a specific tool called Think I, a Synth, sorry, Synth ID, which embeds a digital watermark directly into the image pixels. Uh, while again imperceptible to the human eye. And so what they're trying to do now is at least to support these diffusion models like um, stability 
AI that that clearly has pulled together lots of training material from potentially non-copyrighted but also possibly copyrighted images so um, going forward uh, with this interesting technology you'll be able to watermark the picture without it being perceptible so if you're using copyrighted material uh, using this particular tool you'll be able to identify whether or not it's a real or a fake so the idea is not just simply about watermarking getty stock images it's about any image that is generated from certain training material will become obvious or any uh, material that is being generated that has been endorsed and therefore watermarked you know that will be that will be viewed but not necessarily perceptible to the human eye so i think it's all fascinating to try to help to see whether or not i mean you may get me oliver doing a handstand somewhere where i can't physically do a handstand and i'll be able to tell you that it's not me you know uh, mm. so so don't do that ever again you know these pictures that you have of me i, I do apologize about that i thought well i thought you'd find it a, a load of fun i, I thought well, she's going to love this and and, and you, but i have bought my juggling uh, i have bought my juggling balls so oh, you can yeah, that's, real. That's, real. And that is, that's, that's analog real. man so claire yeah but the other thing that's <laughs> happened is is google images now i haven't actually tested this but google announced that now when you do a search the google images if you click on the little the three little buttons dots there in the corner where you can find out more about this picture it will tell you whether it can detect that it's a fake or not so that obviously you know it will be based on the quality of the technology but it's something that users can actively search for which is new now the problem of course is will people actually search for it do people realize do will they feel the need to go and check for pictures etc it does still rely on users going out there and testing whether a picture is fake or not before for instance they share it on social media so we are, you know, those the fake pictures are not going to disappear. There are now increasingly tools that may be getting better at spotting them, but it's still a proactive uh, step from the user to go out and check. So not yet perfect, but you know, progress. And like an arms race, isn't it? The AI gets better. Yeah. Does the detection get harder? Um, like spies and spy catchers, I guess, that kind of thing. It's interesting. Um, one thing I didn't understand, Maureen, from what you were saying, which is very unusual, um, and nothing to do with you, I'm sure, but more to do with my, my receptors. Um, when, when you said um, you, can, you can tell imperceptibly to the human, but there's a watermark on there, which can be picked up. Uh, what happens if someone develops their own AI technology to, to create, say, deep fakes, for example? Obviously, they're not going to be watermarking. So how, how would you be able to... Um, um, guard yourself against deep fakes that have been created by technology which is not covered by this this watermarking process i guess you can't really i think you've answered your own question yeah <laughs> yeah yes. yeah so it's one of those things where only the people obeying the law uh, are, the, are the ones that are going to help the people who are trying to detect the ai which is always a bit of a sort of uh, loophole uh, anyway great story we'll return to that one i'm not going to say it's going to run and run because uh, I, oh damn i have uh, but we are the great uh, three great stories very diverse well explained as ever thank you very much that was in the news and now we get to is it the highlight? Uh, I don't think you can get more highlighty than the deep diving in the news. But however, people love the game Podmoji. And if you want to do long short, um, uh, apropos what we were previously talking about, that's absolutely fine as well. The rules are very loose. It's the Mornington Crescent of media podcasts. That's a deep cut reference for nerds from the United Kingdom. But uh, I won't explain it. So we have a few to get through. And I'm going to start with Maureen. Uh, this time and we are going to do a pop emoji oh by the way any props i should really go through the props first i'm not sure that there is any normally you wave them in front of the camera i can see oh it's, it just looks like a ribbon uh claire there. oh it's not a not ribbon it's a, how do you call these uh, uh that tape uh, oh it's yeah, a measuring it's, measure. it's, a, it's a tape measure yep and then uh, maureen's got something out of focus but i don't think it's out of focus it's the camera probably uh clean, cleaning cleaning <laughs> cleaning kit i hope you've just not just picked up the nearest thing to you and you actually thought these through but we'll, we'll exactly that we'll see. i still have the soldier <laughs> oh yeah the soldier yeah, yeah. the soldier's always good that's it I, we um, had, yeah we haven't prepared this very well okay next time we'll do better oh you've yeah got and of course obviously the, the, oh, the uh and I still the, the jackie anassis the bum yeah the, the, the dog with the bottom so bum we're doing dog. well it'll be fine yeah no that's like, okay 
Uh, yeah. You've taken your glasses off. So we've got the tape measure. <laughs> well, let's see how they uh, get used. That's going to keep people <laughs> listening. Uh, just to see how they're used. So let's start with ITV. Uh, ITV Maureen. Oh, uh, yes. ITV. ITV results. Um, yeah. So um, I'll be very quick. So ITV. Ooh, uh, a, a very, uh, a very, very difficult uh, winter ahead. I would have to say, which is which is extraordinary, actually. But so ITV, you always look at them. Um, ITV Studios, then ITV Linear Advertising. So ITV Studios, non-advertising, uh, ITV Advertising. Advertising absolutely fallen off a cliff, which is remarkable, especially when Claire talks about Amazon and, and advertising. Advertising revenues are, you know, double digits plus, you know. So uh, they're expecting advertising revenue down by 15%. Um, and I think on the studio side is really propping up the rest of ITV. Uh, so not great set of results, but um, an ITVX, I think that's kind of like doing okay. So so I would be like, hmm, mm, kind okay. of, um, yeah. Mm, not convinced. And it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse. That's what it sounds like it. It sounds like absolutely no return. Uh, Claire? Yeah, I'm going to go with the dog. Um, uh-huh. Bottom the dog. The dog. Kind there of, he is. Let's look a bit like Groupie. <laughs> I think the problem with ITV, it's not even, I mean, the share price is, really suffered this year it's gone down by i think 18 percent since the beginning of the year but they are so exposed to the uk advertising market which is suffering more than all of the, that's that's why I, you know amazon's doing well because it doesn't have that exposure to the uk market it's got other markets to, to build on and the uk has just suffered much more than the global market when it comes to advertising and that and itv's you know that's the, that's their that's where Thing. they make all of their advertising so that's not great the studios are doing well uh, but they are, as Maureen said, pulling the whole thing. So yeah, ooh, tricky. Oh, that was, that'll do. That put that noise. That'll do. Is your problem? Do you think? Yeah. Ooh. yeah. Ooh, God. Ooh, blimey! Don't have a look at that. Oh yeah. dear, no. Uh, hit it with a spade. Uh, next, we'll stay with you, Claire. Uh, Meta. So Meta it has just done what I would call a big. FU at the European Commission, which is quite funny. I know sort of way, and you're we're keeping this we're keeping this podcast clean, obviously. It's eighteen but, plus. Oh, okay. Then no. Anyway, oh, yeah. uh, I don't know any bad words in English. The the the, the what the, the European Commission or the European Union has been on Meta's case uh, for for months and years to say you have to stop gathering the user information and bring them advertising, you know, all your targeted ads, you're not respecting GDPR or any of these things, you have to stop. And Meta's just said, great, we are going to launch a subscription service. So you can use WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook. If you pay, I think 10 euros a month, you won't get any ads. So we're not, so we're giving people an option. If they don't want their data collected, they can, but they'll have to pay 10 euros per month. Now, obviously, nobody's going to do that, uh, and uh, or very few people. And if they do do that, that's just going to be an, an, a new a new revenue stream for Meta. And it's it's much harder for the for the European Union to to say anything now that they're, they're offering a genuine uh, alternative. So, it's not a bit of a protection racket, though. It's like saying I'll stop hitting you if you give me 10 pounds. You know, you know what I mean. Like, I'll stop doing something you don't want me to do if you give me 10 dollars a month. I don't know. It sounds a bit. I don't know. I don't know what the right emoji is, but uh, I don't have to play the game. Uh, I'm going to put the soldier in because it's a war. It's a war. Yeah. Is that so? Soldier? Is that inspired by Ted Lasso or by Toy Story? A soldier? I don't know. I don't know. It's just shown up on my desk. I'm not entirely sure where it's from. I think no, I'm not. I'm kind of, my husband's the other one using this desk, so I don't know what he's been doing. <laughs> I'd probably, I'd probably ask him. You, you, you never know. <laughs> um, he might be doing some battle planning. Uh, Maureen. Uh, what were your your views on Meta? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, Claire's covered it. Um, so, I, I I think it's I know I know some really bad words in English, but I'm not going to um at the news. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, whatever whatever Claire said, I'm like. <laughs> yeah, well, everybody in the uh, digital team knows uh, about your vocabulary, Maury. There's some of the results they've uh, they've tried to put put past you. Um, Actually, you know what? I, my point mostly is is me eating popcorn because it's quite fun to watch. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, I don't like that one. It's that one. It's that one, isn't it? Yeah, yum, yum, that yum, one. Yum. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, right, well, Claire... I've never blasphemed. I've never blasphemed on a... <laughs> no, you haven't, call, actually. You, on a call you, you, with the digital team. You, uh, you remain ladylike <laughs> at all times, obviously. Uh, the next one, we talk about a place, uh, one of the many places where I felt slightly too uncool to be there, but they didn't sort of hide it from me. Um, we work. Um, so, yes, Maureen, um, we were talking about this before. I don't know. I don't want to be smug about the downfall of a, a fur, but I never really feel comfortable in a WeWork. So what's your take? Well, I, I'm going to use Seth, Zeph Myers, who's one of my, 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 my favourite uh, satirical uh, comedians who runs the uh, his own show in the US. And uh, he put up a he put up a little <laughs> a little picture or a clip of WeWorks and said, bankrupt again? Really? <laughs> 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 so that's my view as well. <laughs> I, what? <laughs> mm. um, I mean, I've, I've had meetings in WeWorks and they're, they're fine. You know, what are they doing? <laughs> I, I think they're, they're in the business to be bankrupt, you know, because there is such a thing as people going into administration continuously to avoid paying their, uh, <laughs> their debts or their customers. So, um, I mean, it's extraordinary. So I'm like, what? What? I thought you guys were dead. It's like it's like Frank Sinatra's fifteenth comeback. Hang on, are you still around? Right okay, yeah, what? <laughs> Claire? Yeah, I think you know if we we dig a step back from all the hype and the unpleasantness of the founder and the fact that they're you know not very nice people, they are suffering from they suffered from the pandemic. They're suffering from hybrid working, especially in the sort of cool highly financed, highly funded tech startups that they would have targeted for their offices. There are now competitors who are better run and cheaper to run. And so they, you know, they came up with something at the beginning that I think had not been done in that way before, but they weren't able to sustain. And I think ultimately will 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 disappear or be integrated into into another group. And the, yeah, there will be a lot of gloating. And I wonder how many people have made the we don't work joke, but I'm making it. Yeah, no, yeah, we, we can't do that. We've got far more better writers on this show than that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It is a good one, though. Yeah. <laughs> We're still here. We're not dead yet. Okay, uh, that makes sense. So, uh, and Claire, let's stay with you. Oh, yes, I'm not sure I understand this one. You might have to explain it um, if, if I'm just like the typical listener, <laughs> let's say. Uh, the Yes, the Omnicom buying flywheel. Yes, uh, Omnicom, very large advertising media agency, has made their biggest ever acquisition. They bought a company called Flywheel for $900 million, which is a lot of money. Uh, and uh, so Omnicom, you know, again, big media company and uh, Flywheel is an e-commerce platform. So what they're doing is they're, they're doing this sort of digital digital advertising, retail advertising targeted advertising, uh, which is obviously growing very, very fast. We've talked about this several times in the show, and this is a this is something that all media agencies are very keen to get their hands on because ultimately the market is certainly moving that way at the moment. Whether it will move that way entirely or as fast as people think, I don't know. I think there's a limit to it, but right now it's the hottest thing. So the interesting thing about Nick and Buying Flywheel is that it leaves nothing else. There were a couple of big companies. They've all been acquired in this e-commerce space. So the other media agencies are like, but what now? Uh, the only thing that's still available potentially is Tesco owns a really good um, targeting agency called Dunhumby, which they've they've lived, uh, they used they've funded originally and they've owned for years. And they may at some point decide to sell part or all of that just to just to make some money. And that would be an interesting interesting buy but otherwise there's nothing else to buy really so again putting a little soldier in people are being a bit territorial about this stuff and making sure that they 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 are concurring concurring this space uh, as fast mm. as they can yeah, no, I don't think that's stretching the soldier metaphor too far. I think that's a, a soldier thing. And of course, these financial wheelie dealings, we now completely understand how they're um, operated due to uh, Maureen's um, uh, magnificent deep dive at the top of the show. What a beautiful uh, uh, piece of circularity in this episode. So, uh, yes, uh, your views, Maureen, your um, podmoji on the flywheel acquisition. I like that circularity. 
especially yeah. when we're talking about flywheel. I mean, yeah. circularity and flywheel. So, yep. but yeah, yeah, to- I mean, totally Claire's, uh, intended. Claire's absolutely, exactly. Claire's, abs- Claire's absolutely right. So it's, it's an extraordinary amount of money um, for Omnicom, but there's a scarcity value in that kind of offering. There's one other company actually, but it is public, but it could be taken private, and that is Critio, which is uh, from your territory. Uh, um, uh, Claire, so it's a French-based um, company, which which is which is equally interesting and a really a really decent company um, that I think was rumoured to be being approached because if if you're a publicly listed business, if you're approached, you have to disclose it to everybody so that everyone has a fair chance to come in and and, and bid for it as well. So um so 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 yeah, I mean what it, what is fascinating though, I, I, I'm probably going just just to squeeze in for thirty seconds. What's fascinating about this acquisition is. Um, Flywheel is part of a larger, very old legacy business called Essential, uh, which started out as EMAP, which was a which was basically just oh, yeah. a trade events and a, a trade exactly a trade events and a publishing business, and it I reinvented itself through a couple of exactly exactly, and it and it reinvented itself into this digital business through a couple of acquisitions, um, namely the WSGN, which is a a, a fashion. Uh, and retail, um, uh, let's let's call it research-based uh, database and inventory um, uh, company, and then it, and then it started buying up or building this digital commerce business, and the CEO of Essential, Duncan Painter, has been desperate. It's listed Essential. It's been desperately trying to break up the business and sell it in parts or sell Essential as a whole. So for him, it's extraordinary. So he's actually going to stay with flywheel and move across to omnicom and then the rest of the business of essential is left is, is is a trade events business and the trade events business ceo will become the ultimate ceo so i mean fascinating and a big a big a big applause to duncan painter who's been trying for a year and a half to extract himself from essential uh, this is a very nice and elegant way of doing that <laughs> really clever so well done duncan <laughs> he's made a lot of money along the way as well um not that i'm not that i'm bitter um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, interesting. So yeah, thumbs up. But but nine hundred million to get a return on that is going to be tricky. But you know, as as Claire says, this market is evolving. Um, just just hopefully that will be evolving fast enough to justify that acquisition price. Oh, congrats to, D- to Duncan. He, he wheeled a deal. He got what he wants. I know huge slab of cash. That is living the dream. Uh, finally on. This time's Podmojis. Uh, oh, yes, the Reddit. And there's a sort of IP block search kind of thing going on at Reddit, which is extra- it's ubiquitous Reddit, isn't it? There's so much stuff on there. I've, I've been doing a bit of research on Reddit and everything you could want to know is on there and quite a lot of stuff you don't really want to know. Um, uh, but uh, yes, Podmoji, let's uh, we'll start with Claire. Yes, I love this story. Reddit is huge now i mean and it has become a a place for people to search for content reddit is very annoyed by the fact that ai web crawlers are basically bumping all of its content all of its user content to feed their ai engines so chat gbt is being fed by reddit results and that's and that's how it tells you what to do when you ask it a question which is fair enough because that's where i go reddit is where i go for most of my for most of my queries and Reddit's not happy with this. So they start to this, this, they try to do a deal with some of the big AI companies and said, you know, fine, you can use our data. Oh, drop my little soldier. You can use our data, but you will have to, um, uh, pay us and the AI companies were like, well, why, why should we do this? Cause we can just send web crawlers and all of your data is available to viewers. All we need is a search and that's all fine. And so Reddit's come out and said, actually, we may just not be registered for search anymore. And you can do that. In that, what that would mean is you would go on Google and search for something and no Reddit results would ever show up. And there is an anonymous source from Reddit who has told the Wall Street Journal, uh, we don't need search. And I think there is some truth in that. I don't know if it's a scare tactic to get a deal done with the AI, the AI uh, bots, but uh, Reddit is, as you were saying, so ubiquitous now that if people don't find it on Google, they will just go to Reddit and search for it there. Mm. So they don't need search as much as as much as search needs them right now. That balance of power is shifting slightly in Reddit's favor, which is always very interesting how these things happen. So 
I'm I'm watching with popcorn again, but I'm also going go run it. Yeah, good for them. They've created yeah. something that's so great that people love that their uh, what what their asset is worth more than the uh, asset of another firm. Good, good, good on them. It's I suppose it's a, it's a question of you've got a question for the world. Uh, where do you start? Everyone starts on Google, but. Uh, it's that tip of balance, as you said, uh, Claire, as soon as Reddit becomes, I don't know, easy to use or has richer data or it's better organized, then then uh, the uh, the people will walk. Um, Maureen, um, same question. Reddit, block search, Podmoji, balance of power, etc. I'm eating popcorn with Claire. Oh, and talking Hello. of eating together... Yeah, they, they, uh, 67% of the cast of this podcast went out for lunch in the week, uh, timing it when I was away. Uh, but I don't think I was invited. So that made me feel quite good. So the next time we're all three going out, but they had a lovely, a lovely meal. Uh, and uh, um, I'm very jealous. But um, we are planning, are we not um, a live or as live, if you like, uh, podcast where we're all going to be in the same room? in the same small room so the acoustics should be great um so we're actually all going to be together uh, more announcements on that it won't be the next one but it uh, it will be one before the end of the year that we are planning and we are all very excited so if you watch on video you can see the relative sizes of us all and um spoiler alert i'm the biggest okay um we've come to the end of another bumper episode and again uh, i can't believe how quickly that flew and how well we filled the time i thought the deep dive was a classic uh, this time i have to say as a completely neutral observer uh, so uh, thank you Maureen, for laying a few uh, questions to rest um and look forward to the next one in the meantime of course uh, it is uh, my great pleasure to uh, say thank you to claire and goodbye for now claire goodbye oliver and thank you and also of course to Maureen see you in the office very soon I hope and goodbye and thank you thanks Oliver and for everybody else I hope you enjoyed it if there are deep dive subjects that you would like us to cover please um, suggest them uh, on our LinkedIn page I won't even tell you how to find it uh, but I'll give you a clue just go to LinkedIn and uh, search uh, don't go via Reddit <laughs> uh, go via LinkedIn because you won't find it on Reddit um, you'll find it on LinkedIn uh, any other comments as well we are happy to receive them positive or not positive but please be polite because we're very sensitive uh, and it only remains for me to say we look forward to seeing you again goodbye for now bye bye